So the title of my message today is Daring to Ask for More. If you're a reader and if you're familiar with Adventist literature, this is actually the title of a book uh, that's written by uh, Melody Mason. Uh, She wrote a book called Daring to Ask for More. And the title or the the theme behind this book um, is this ideal of prayer and faith. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about today for this Sabbath. To begin, I want to share a story with you um, about a king, King Alexander. How many of you guys know who King Alexander is? Okay, so King Alexander, mighty king, right? Fierce conqueror. He lived around 300 BC, okay? Uh, But even though he lived so long ago, his reputation still lives on to this day, right? We know King Alexander. We study about him in history books and whatnot. So there's a story that goes that, if you didn't know, King Alexander realized that there was nothing left to conquer or what he thought was of the world. Uh, And so he actually cried, right? But besides being such a great conqueror, he's very... He's known very well for his compassion, uh, especially to his people. And every year, uh, he would set a day, and he would call it uh, the Day of Compassion or Compassionate Day. So this is what they said. This is how the story goes. They say that he would randomly select people in his nation, and they had the opportunity to come to the king, King Alexander, and ask him anything they wanted. Any request that they had, they were able to ask. But of course, people approaching King Alexander were afraid. They were a little shy. You know, a great mighty king. That's King Alexander. So they would ask for very basic things like food, medicine, I need some clothes, right? Those kind of things. What would you guys ask a king? Okay? Just think about that. Think about it. Okay? But one year, one year was a little different. Okay? One person came up to the middleman, uh, the king's spokesperson, and he asked, can you tell the king to give me a palace? I want a palace, a big enough palace where I can have a large banquet hall with all my friends and family to come and eat delicious food. But the spokesperson, the king's spokesperson said, are you kidding me? Right? He was angry. He was irritated. He's like, how dare you ask the king of such a wild request, Right? But King Alexander noticed the commotion. And he asked the spokesman, well, bring him in. Let me hear what he has to say. But the spokesman turned around, looked at the king, and quietly whispered to the king's ear, I'm so sorry. This man is very rude, very unreasonable. And I know this request will make you upset. But he wants a palace. He wants a palace with a banquet hall for him and his friends. He wants you to supply all the best foods in the world, I'm so sorry that such an such a inconsiderate person came to ask you such a thing. Please don't be angry, right? But then the king paused, and suddenly with a big smile, he turned towards the person and said, it's all yours, right? The spokesman's jaw dropped. How in the world, king, could you give something so large to such an ordinary guy like him? But this is what the king said. King Alexander says, you see... All these people in my kingdom ask me for food. They ask me for medicine. They ask me for all these boring kind of things. Anyone could give them that. They think that's the only thing I have. But they don't need a king to give them these things. Anyone that has extra in their homes can do this. But a king, for the first time, this man has made me feel like a king. For only a king could grant such a thing. 
Okay? So this is a story talking about a human king of this earth. Now I want you to imagine what the king of this universe can do for you. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You see, we serve a God that can do so much more than we could ever imagine. And as we begin 2020, as we drive through this year, as we start the first day of the month of February, I want to talk about this ideal and concept of prayer and faith. And I want this to be the driving force of us as individuals, but as a church as well. Because all too often, we find ourselves in a place that is a little too hesitant to ask God for more. You know, there's a writing from the Review and Herald uh, that I think is so profound. And this is what it says. I think we need to ponder upon this. Just so long as the church is satisfied with small things, will it fail of receiving the great things of God? Why do we not hunger and thirst after the gift of the Spirit? Since this is the means by which we are to receive power. Talk of it. Pray for it. Preach concerning it. The Lord is more than willing to give the Holy Spirit to us than parents or to give good gifts to their children. You see, we serve a God who wants to give us so much more, but we are so stuck being satisfied with the small things that God gives us. So I want to challenge us as a church. I want us to dare to ask for more. Because when we do so, I strongly believe God is ready to pour himself out into our lives. So today we're going to examine a story uh, to help us better understand this concept. And I'm going to give you guys four pieces uh, and then at the end, I'm going to put it all together for you guys to digest. Uh, so they're not all random, uh, but we're going to go through these four points. But we're going to start with the story, and it's in the Gospel of Mark, uh, one of my favorite Gospels. And we find the story in Gospel of Mark chapter 9. And it's the story of Jesus healing a boy possessed by an impure spirit. It is a little long, uh, but I'm going to read through it really quickly. So Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14, and it says... When they came to the other disciple, they saw a large crowd around them, the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. He asked, what are you arguing with them about? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus replied, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And then Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And he answered, from childhood, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like his corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind 
come out only by prayer. So prayer is an interesting topic. And the first thing that I kind of want to highlight um, is the power of prayer. Uh, for the past like three months or so, especially with the youth, for the youth lock-in and the spiritual retreat, uh, I focused on the general and the, the basic concepts of prayer. You see, prayer is something that as we progress in faith, uh, we become more accustomed and more desensitized to the ideal of prayer. Whether it's because we're so used to praying all the time, or maybe it's because our prayer life is kind of dead or obsolete, right? Sometimes our prayer life is something difficult to talk about and to deal with. Now, for me especially, as I had the chance to discover and read about prayer and study and just re-examine my own prayer life, I started to realize how difficult, difficult it was to actually teach someone how to pray. You see, we talk about prayer as like a mode of communication, right? We say it's like the telephone line to God. And 100% correct. I think it's so true. It's a communication, a two-way communication that we have with God. But I strongly believe we get caught up in this tendency with the how to pray rather than the power of prayer itself. Okay? Sometimes we think that there is only a right way to pray. You know, I actually called myself yesterday during Friday Vespers. Some of the kids, you know, I asked for a prayer request. And some of the kids were just like saying like, oh, I want school to be over. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. And I like didn't write it down. But then I caught myself thinking like, no, there's no like right or wrong way. Like we can, we can pray about this, right? <laughs> right, okay. So we find in the gospel of Luke as well that the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, right? And Jesus teaches them. And so we have this, this un, unconscious kind of notion that there is a proper way to pray and an improper way to pray. Now, I'm not saying that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, that we should be like, oh, irrelevant, like, no, I don't, we shouldn't, you know, we're, we're not saying that, or I'm not saying that whatsoever, okay? But I want us to challenge the way that we think about prayer, okay? First of all, the question, where does the power of prayer come from? And this is something that I kind of drilled into uh, the junior high, high school group. Uh, the power of prayer is not from the person who is praying. It's from the person we are praying to. The power of prayer is not from the person that is praying. It's not from me that the power of prayer comes from. But it's directly from the person that we are praying to that the power comes from. But unfortunately, and so many times, it almost seems like we think that the power of prayer comes from the way that we pray, right? It's about how elegant your words are, or how many amens you can get the congregation to say while you pray, okay? Or how long and lengthy the prayer is. But how often do we pray with the acknowledgement that the power of prayer isn't found in how we do it, in me, but rather that it's the God that we're praying to, that the power comes from. I think the first step uh, when it comes to asking God for more, to taking that next step, is acknowledging that the power of prayer does not come from me, but it comes from the person that we are praying to. Jeremiah 32, 17, uh, the next point I want to talk about. It says here, all sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You see, there are so many promises of God, right? Throughout the Old and the New Testament, we find promise after promise of a God who says that he wants to do everything and anything for you. But then 
the question that I always end up asking myself, and I want to challenge you to think about as well, why do we limit God? When it comes to God, there is no such thing as a limit, right? The sky isn't the limit. The universe isn't the limit. There are absolutely no limits. But unfortunately, we as a church, we have made faith the limit of our prayer lives. Okay? Now, I think the most important step in us moving forward is asking God for more, in asking God for more, is truly understanding how big and amazing God is. That truly with God, there are no limits. You see, in our story that we just read in Mark, we find the story of a man whose son is possessed. The man clearly has faith, right? But limits his faith in asking of Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, God, if you can do anything. But Jesus is like, dude, seriously, if? Like, that's not even a question. Of course, right? And almost instantaneously, this man's faith once had limits. He believes and asks Jesus to take away his unbelief and to simply take the wheel. You see, when we take away the limitations that we set in our faith, we become capable to receive. And I think Ellen G. White puts it very beautifully in The Desire of Ages. Page 672, it says this. Only to those who wait humbly upon God, who watch for his guidance and grace, is the spirit given. The power of God awaits their demand and reception. This promised blessing, claimed by faith, brings all other blessings in, this, in its train. It is given according to the riches of the grace of Christ. And he is ready to supply every soul according to the capacity to receive. You see, when we remove the limits of our faith and we acknowledge and see how willing God truly is to pour out his life and the blessings upon us, when we open our hands and say that we are ready to receive, God is more than ready to supply every soul according to our capacity. And that's such a beautiful thing. Maybe if you're, you feel a little stumbling block in your prayer life, I want you to think about this. That maybe the limitations or maybe the reason why I feel so dead is maybe that there's a limitation that you have set in how you pray. Oh, only God will answer this or that. Maybe I shouldn't ask God because that's not appropriate. Right? That's the second point. Third point. <clears throat> so there are many themes we find in the Gospel of Mark. Okay? Uh, one of the themes is like secrecy, right? Jesus is like low-key telling everyone, hey, like, don't tell anyone, right? Like, do it in secret, like, don't say it. And then he's like moving place to place, okay? We see the Gospel of Mark exploring many different themes. But one of the themes that I find quite in interesting uh, is the ideal of belief versus unbelief. You see, the Gospel of Mark shows two different kinds of people, okay? Those that believe uh, and those... Uh, who don't believe, right? But the gospel uses uh, this idea of belief uh, to both, or unbelief to both groups of people, right? So the people who were against Jesus, right? Uh, their belief or unbelief was fueled by not the lack of their insight, because clearly the people against Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were teachers of the law. They understood their Bibles. They knew about a Messiah. So their unbelief was a conscious refusal to say, I believe, and a complete rejection of what Jesus' claims and uh, his identity was. Right? But on the flip side, we find the disciples, right? who are people that are claimed to uh, have belief, right? 
But they also experience a type of unbelief, right? Which I think is very interesting. Because we see over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, they fail to believe in Jesus' identity through his teachings and his actions, right? We, we see them missing the grand picture of who Jesus really is, and the fact that Jesus is Messiah, and they even themselves struggle with believing Jesus, right? So think about the feeding of the thousands, right? Jesus just feeds like a thousand some people, and then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, we don't know what to do. And then Jesus is like, you guys, are you serious? Like, I just fed all these people, and you're missing the big point of who I am. Okay? Mark 4.12 says that they may ever be seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. You see, the whole point of the Gospel of Mark, with this theme of unbelief, is to emphasize faith, and the importance, the power, and the depth of having a strong faith in Christ. But now I want to uh, underline something that's also very interesting when it comes to belief. Jesus says, seeing but not perceiving, hearing but not understanding. Or some translations may say, hearing but not listening. So what's the difference? So I find this fascinating because the Hebrew word for hear is this word here. What is it? Shema. Okay? Shema. And if you're familiar with Jewish tradition, if anyone is familiar with it, there's a prayer that they say called the Shema, right? And they say the prayer two times a day. And the opening line of the Shema, or the prayer that these Jewish people do, uh, it starts with, listen, O Israel. Okay, now, key point to understand, follow me through with this, is that to listen or hear does not simply mean allow the sound waves to go in one ear and then out the other. The Hebrew word Shema okay, implies that you are to listen or hear. That means it's to let it sink in, to give understanding, which results uh, or produces a response. Okay? So in Hebrew, hearing and doing are basically two sides of the same coin. Okay? So Jesus refers to this so often uh, in his ministry because, of course, as we know, Jesus is of Jewish background, right? So take a look at the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 29 to 31. Um, we actually focus, when we talk about this verse, we talk about verse 30 and 31, but 29 is also very important. This is how it begins. Mark 12, verse 29 to 31, it says this. The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is no commandment greater than these. It's interesting. We highlight verse 30 and 31 and we say, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus prefaces this phrase or this answer with hear, O Israel. Okay? This is not simply about listening. It's about living it out. It's about receiving God's love and in turn, giving it back. Love creates more love. Okay? Now, okay, you're probably wondering, it sounds very scattered right now. You're probably wondering, okay, pastor, like, where are you going with this? Okay? What is he trying to tell me? Okay, follow through with me on this. The Shema is a prayer, right? And the implications of the Shema is not just praying and hearing God, quote-unquote. It's actually doing and living out what God wants for us, okay? Prayer and faith must go hand in hand. 
And this is the biblical understanding of prayer. Okay? The disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon and this child? And Jesus answers very simply. He says what? It's only through prayer. Right? It's only by prayer. You see, because the disciples are now making, they're, they're not connecting. They're struggling to connect their faith. They're living out their faith and their prayers, their communications, their shima to God. Okay? So it's important that we as a church, that when we dare to ask God for more, we have to understand that our prayer is not simply words that come out of our mouth, but it's a belief and a belief that invokes action. Right? And that action is living out a life in the light of God's will for us. Uh, I want to talk about, um, so the first point, uh, just to recap really quickly with you. The power of prayer is found in who? Not me, but in the person that we are praying to. Okay? That the limits of our faith is the reason why we struggle to see God doing so much more for us. Number two. And then number three, prayer and faith, right? Shema. That prayer is not just about listening, but it's about taking action. Now, the last thing that I want to bring up, um, how many of you guys are uh, familiar with this? Well, now you're awake. <laughs> okay, so uh, Mario, uh, maybe for you older generation as well, this is more of a familiar sight. For you younger people, you see Mario and you think... Like, you know, like, what is it? Super Mario Odyssey or whatever. I don't know. Okay. So anyways, so Mario. Uh, what's the goal of Mario when you're playing Mario? Well, what, what, Bowser? Bowser is the goal? What's the goal? In the classic game of Super Mario, what is the goal? Okay, not the flag. What's the end goal? What are you, what are you trying to do? You're trying to save Peach. Okay. So the whole goal of Super Mario is you're going through these stages, these levels, right? These different worlds. The ultimate goal of Super Mario is to save Peach, right? That's the heroic, heroic story of Super Mario. Now, if you guys have ever played Super Mario, you know that it's not always easy, right? You're going through the stages and you're jumping and then there's like little like Goombas or whatever and there's like little like holes and stuff and like you sometimes fall in, right? How many of you guys playing Super Mario, you, you fall into a hole and just like break the screen and throw the controller and then call it quits? Okay? Okay? I guarantee you most of you guys that have ever played Super Mario, you never quit after you fall into a pit, right? What do you do? You play it again, right? You start again from the beginning. Okay, when you get to that pit, what do you do? Do you do the same thing? Do you jump in or do you jump over? You jump over, okay, hopefully. Okay, so there's this thing called the Super Mario effect, okay? There's a YouTuber uh, named Mark Rober. I don't know if you guys know who he is. But Mark Rober, uh, in one of the TED Talks that he did a while ago, he talked about this phenomenon called the Super Mario effect. In essence, it's called the ideal of focusing, I don't think I have it on the screen, okay, focusing on the princess and not the pits to stick with the task and learn more. That's the ideal of the Super Mario effect. So in, in other words, it's, it's saying, I'm not going to focus on falling into that pit every time, but rather use that as an opportunity to learn from and to keep pushing for it. So Isaiah 55, uh, verse eight and nine, 
Let's see, I don't know if it's there. Okay, Isaiah 55 verse 89, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, how many of you guys have heard of the word hindsight? What does it mean to look in hindsight? Okay, some of you guys are like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So, people who are able to look back on the past... And understand what happened is this ideal of looking back in hindsight, right? So when you're, let's go back to the Super Mario, right, example. When you fall into a pit and you make the mistake of jumping too early and going into the pit, you look back in hindsight and think, okay, I'm not going to jump in the same place, but I'm going to time my jump a little bit later so I go past the pit, right? Okay. For example, okay, another example. Let's just say you're studying for a test. Okay, and first test you take, you totally fail, right? You start studying at one o'clock in the morning, uh, you just quickly go through things, whatever, and you fail the test, okay? You fail the test, so the next time you look back at that, and, okay, maybe I shouldn't start studying at one. Maybe I'll start at 10 instead. And you start seeing that you improve your test score. So you start earlier and earlier. Maybe you change the way that you study, right? This is the ideal, looking back in the past and understanding what happened and learning from that, right? Now, in our Christian walk, this concept of looking in hindsight is so, so important. You see, when we examine our Christian walk, when we see what God has already done for us, the past tells us what? That God is good, and God has already done so much for us, right? So why can't God do that again? Why wouldn't he do it again? We have story after story in the Bible of God working miracles, God providing for people, It doesn't even have to be things in your own walk, right? It can be in other people's walks, when we hear people's testimonies and stories. But when we have the ability to look in hindsight and to see what God has already done for us, it's incredible because it's a reminder of all the great things that God is willing to do for you as well. You see, God's ways are much higher than our own. His thoughts are much greater than ours. And overall, God's plans are greater than ours. You see, when we face the challenge of daring to ask God for more, it's so important that we learn to focus more on the success of what God has done for us rather than ponder on what God hasn't done for us. And I believe that's strongly, I strongly believe that that's what puts a limit in our faith. So here's the connection. Okay, let me put it all together for you now. To dare to ask for more is this, is to understand that when we're asking God for more, that the power of asking is not from me, but from God. And when we are able to comprehend this, when we take away the doubt and the limitations of our own faith so that we can believe and we live out a life in which God wants to pour out his everything. And when things seem to be gloomy, when we think that God isn't there or maybe God has called or or abandoned us, right? God helps us to look back in hindsight because that's when we see the goodness of God in the past and what he's going to do for us in the future. Now, I know that seems like a lot, right? And for some, it may sound a little confusing. Like, what does pastor want? Like, why is he torturing us with this, right? The title of our message is Daring to Ask for More. And so as we continue with the beginning part of 2020, I want to challenge us as a church, individually and collectively, 
to be a church that is not afraid to ask God for more. Because I strongly believe that God wants to overflow into each of one of our lives and to this church. And the only thing that is stopping that from happening is us. When we realize the kind of God we really serve, the reality is, is asking God for more doesn't sound too bad. Right? When we realize the power that, of the God that we're praying to has, praying for more can really change our lives. When you look back to all the things that God has been doing in the past, man, like what, what do we really have to lose right, in asking God for more? Now, I know sometimes it feels like, well, I don't know. God doesn't seem to answer my prayers all the time. And it's like, why, why should I ask for more? Why should I believe in a God that doesn't really listen to me anyway? Or maybe even, what if we ask God for more because uh, we've been challenged to, but then God doesn't pull through? What do we do then? That's a whole other sermon. But just remember that prayer isn't about our will, but God's. And if we're using prayer as a way to make God answer us, I mean, come on. I ho- hopefully, if you, if you think that way, or if you hear that way, um, or you perceive prayer that way, let me tell you, that sounds a little weird, okay? Because prayer isn't about making God answer us according to what we, what we think is best. It's about what God thinks uh, is best for us. And how do we know that? It all comes back to this ideal of aligning with what God has already done for us in the past. When we look at people of old, we see God has worked through answered prayers. And we will see very quickly a pattern of God's will as revealed through the Bible. So I want to challenge us as a church. When we ask God for more, to take away that limitation. I strongly believe that the church here at Glendale has so much potential. When we tap into this power of prayer, when we take the, the, the moment and the chance and the time to just sit down and say, come on, like, why am I stopping myself from having a deeper connection with God and realize how good God has been? That's when we can start seeing God really work in our church to change and transform lives, to change and transform the community that we live in. And this is a challenge that's not easy, even for me, to ask God for more. I mean, come on, like, humble yourself, right? I always have to tell myself, like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm asking too much. But very clearly we find in the Bible that despite how much we ask, we serve a God that wants to give. And it hurts his heart to know that the only thing that's stopping that from happening is us, ourselves. So I want to challenge you, church, as we continue with year 2020, to become a church and to become people that are not, that isn't afraid to ask God for more. Let's continue to build solid foundations with our relationship with Christ through prayers, through actions, and through our thoughts.